We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 174, a missile opinions brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Hi, I'm Dan Hilton, he's Frances Tomas, and Frances, you know, there's really nothing going on right now, so I guess we'll just, I'll plug the YouTube video I put out on Sunday about January transfer targets, and I guess we call it a show, sound good? Yep, Forza. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, everything actually is happening, but as always, there is nothing to report other than Barcelona not only have sacked Ernesto Valverde, but they have a new manager in Kike Setien. And, you know, it's funny, Frances, when we started this show, Luis Enrique was on his way out. Ernesto Valverde coming was, I believe, show number two. So he has been the manager of Barcelona for basically the entire duration of the Barcelona podcast. So it is an odd feeling that we're now going to be talking about a new man in charge in Kike Setien. And, you know, I, we had La Ronda. I had put it out on Sunday. So some of the questions we have don't aren't really applicable anymore. And yet a lot of them can still be twisted because as much as this seems like a short-term fix... I don't know how much it serves some of the long-term issues that I think are still going to be hanging over the club. So I think it's about time that we begin this show, not really with a question, but with a broader idea of Kike Setien and whether or not you and I feel that he can succeed. And not just asking that, but when it came to the Kike Setien hire, Frances, what was your, I need to know, your first reaction? What was the feeling you had knowing that Barcelona now had a new manager and it was a guy that was unemployed having been at Real Betis last year? Well, the first thought is I couldn't quite believe the board were actually brave enough to, to do what's um, necessary, what, the, what millions of people around the world could see um, clearly in front of their eyes. It was that Barca was declining into something that just wasn't Barca. It was just players with the Braulana colors and Messi in it. And, um, you know, the, gener- the generation in the club was alarming. Um, having said that, it's the first time that Barca changed a manager in 17 years throughout the season. Um, the last one was Louis van Gaal, who obviously was far more, let's say, rigid. I think that's the word that everyone in Catalonia used at the time. They used to call him brickhead at the time. And um, he had a really terrible relationship with the press. Um, the, the team was doing horrendously wrong. They were 12th in La Liga. And, you know, it was obvious that a change was, was coming. In this case, obviously, it's different because Barca are actually leading La Liga. And um, they're still alive in all the competitions. So I didn't quite think that the board, especially Bartomeu, who is very conservative, had it in him. And when the news came, I was shocked. I mean, obviously, 
social media these days is different than the way it was in 2003, and um, it was coming, but I still didn't believe it until the official confirmation came out. Now, once it was clear Valverde was on the way out, there were several managers that could come in, and I know there's going to be questions about this. I'm assuming there's going to be questions about this later on in the show. So let's just say that Setien, I think, is a very brave choice. Um, and as you said in the intro, I don't think it is a quick fix. I think it's someone who should be trusted in the long term. In order to bring the change, you definitely need time, which is obviously why Xavi um, refused to come at this moment in time, uh, particularly with this engagement with Qatar 2022, which is fairly obvious. But no, Setien is a Cruyffist, even though he didn't really play with Cruyff as such. But I think in his own words, he learned football the moment that he faced the, the dream team at the time. And um, I think he's someone who has been studying Cruyffism, has been, especially at Betis particularly, has been demonstrating his love for attacking football, possession football, and not just possession for the sake of it, but... Um, opening wide, um, running at defenders, and, and basically making something happen rather than the boring nonsense that we've been used to, particularly this season under Valverde. So, without a doubt, a great, brave choice moving forward. Yeah, it's funny when you mentioned the fact that Kiki Setien is so connected to Cruyffism, and that's what he's admitted. I, I watched his presentation this morning with Bartomeu and Abidal, and that's something he has said, that no matter what, he's going to be changing the way they're going to play, that he's want, he wants to put forward his ideas, which are based in, in, in Cruyffism. And it is funny, over the course of all these years with Valverde, Frances, that you and I have been called both Ernesto Valverde defenders, and yet we've been called Cruyffist extremist as well, as if those two things, which, as we've seen with Valverde, were vehemently in opposition to one another. So it's funny, I think I'd like to do both, and I'd like to upset those who call me a defender of Valverde and a Cruyffist uh, in, in the same <laughs> breath here. everyone. Well, yeah, I, I would like to because, everyone. well, I think everyone's upset anyway, but the way, the way I want to upset people is saying with Valverde, the, the thing I want to, as, as you were mentioning about Van Hall, the longer we go on, and I know we're speaking of it just days after, and who cares about prosperity in the world of social media when things, the news cycle changes every 24 hours. But when I was looking back on all the different managers that did manage Barcelona, even though he had just two La Ligas and a Copa del Rey, the expectations obviously were different because of the team that he had. He had Messi in the squad. And obviously his career at Barcelona will, I think, always look like a failure and be tinted in a certain way. Uh, but I think for, as always has been, he was the wrong manager at the wrong time for Barcelona. And as I said, if you rewrite history and Neymar doesn't leave in 2017, this all has a different result. If, as we had mentioned, and this is the one argument that you've always given, Frances, that is, you know, the pro, which I can agree with about bringing Neymar back to the camp, no, is that with a guy like Neymar alongside Suarez and Messi in the last two, three, two years, I don't think they lose to Roma. I don't think they lose a Liverpool, and I think you're right, mm -hmm. and that keeps things the same way. And so, basically, uh, Ernesto Valverde had to do this weird alternate dimension timeline where Neymar blows everything up, and I think that's the greatest thing, where all the ire falls on Valverde, and so much of it also fall, falls on the board as well, and we'll get to them at some point in the show, but it, so much of that blame has, has fallen on Valverde, and obviously uh, the trolls on social media, because they're just hiding behind a keyboard, those who use words like terrorist, and ooh, you know those who just scream and how much they hate Valverde, and always with the memes, and everything like this, so obviously those kind of things were disgusting, but I, I think even level-headed, I mean, you and I talked about that we knew it after Roma that, I mean, Valverde, that probably should have been it, right? And then in the second year, we're like, okay, well, he's moved from a 4-4-2 to a 4-3-3, and things 
are looking a little bit better, even though he had almost an undefeated season <laughs> the year before, just losing to Levante. And yet, in that moment when he loses to Liverpool, we all know it's done. He has to be let go. And you're right, the board didn't have the courage to do it. And then this season falls completely on Valverde. But as I said, not that the, I mean, the board shares some of the blame. I think, again, Neymar shares so much of that blame because, you know, by him leaving, they then have to they have to quickly go out and get Dembele and get out and get Coutinho and it just never never works for Valverde and we really never saw things working the way he would have wanted with a, a lineup and a roster that he would have wanted even this season Arthur being out for so much of the year and then if he and Dembele continuing to be out with injury and you know we put some of the onus on Dembele we put the onus and rumors are circling about Arthur and it just winds up being a blame game and so for Valverde to basically take the brunt of this the idea, and this is the cynical part of Kike Seti, and that the idea that Kules are now just going to be, they're, they're going to be crying because of how wonderful the football is on the pitch because of what Kike Setien's ideas are, you know, well, I, I, this is almost a put up or shut up moment for the fan base then. If you really think you're going to enjoy it, regardless of the results, then take this instead. Understand that the number nine, Luis Suarez, is not going to be playing for the rest of the season. And he's been the number two goal scorer. And Barca, yes, Antoine Griezmann is the number three, but after that, they don't really have too many other goals that they expect to be coming. So you're going to have to see Messi score a goal or two every single match for the rest of this season, or Barca might not necessarily get results. And under Kike Setien at Real Betis, they didn't necessarily get too many goals either. They played the right way, and everyone was excited, but everyone was excited because things were quick, and they were a pretty leaky defense, so those games were all exciting. Uh, and they did, sometimes didn't score goals, and that's why he only averaged 1.46 points per match at Real Betis, which at Barca... He's going to get, need to get a 2.2, a 2.3 to wind up winning the Liga this season. So as I said, if Barca finishes third in the league and they fall out of the Champions League in the semifinal again, and they you know fall out of this, the Copa del Rey in the final or the semifinal, then I want the same Kool-Aid to say, I don't care how we play. I, mean, I don't care what the results are. I just want to see us play well. I want to see what happens, and I want to see the reaction there because I, I have a feeling that I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to use the word plastic, Frances, but in these kind of moments, those are the voices that wind up being the loudest. And it is frustrating because we, I mean, those of us, the, the ones who will be here after Messi, we also got what we wanted. Everybody wanted this. Yeah, I mean, you made a lot of points in there. I don't really know where to start, um, but I agree vastly with what you have said. I think I want to start by saying that Valverde's return as a manager, if you sit down coldly and you just look at numbers, it's actually very good. You know, he had three terrible matches. I mean, the Supercopa really wasn't that important. And, and to be honest, that's the one that put the nail in the coffin. I mean, I've, I've seen people saying, oh, but it was a friendly, it was a friendly, and then this happens. First, it wasn't a friendly, it was a title. But obviously, it was a title that really didn't matter for much. It's just the fact that the team was once again embarrassing to themselves um, and to the fan base, obviously, around the world in the last, say, 15 to 20 minutes of a match. And this is what sort of third time lucky after, and this is being generous, Roma and obviously Liverpool. Um, and I think that that's what happened there. But if you think about his return in terms of titles, it's actually pretty decent. Um, and you cannot argue against the fact that had he not been sacked, Barca may have won this league anyway. So the, the club is changing and, and this is, basically being a victim of our own success. Um, and I think Guardiola and, and the generation from Xavi Iniesta, obviously Messi as well, Puyol, etc., have um, made the Barca fan base a little bit spoiled. Um, and probably I include myself, well, not probably, definitely, I include myself on that as well, in the sense that 
a year without winning the Champions League seems to be seen as a fiasco. Um, it's not. Newsflash, it is not. Winning La Liga and winning La Copa, particularly, even if it's just one of them, and definitely if it's, if it's La Liga, that's a good season. You know, that's a much better than average season when you put the 100 years of Barca history into perspective. So from that, with that information, sort of cold numbers and facts, Valverde has been a very good manager for Barca. Obviously, situationally, in history and, and, and linked to sort of Messi's timeline, it's not. It's not enough to just win La Liga. It's not enough to just win La Copa. And it's certainly not enough to, to go out in La Copa like we did last season because everything links back to the Champions League. And uh, it's a bit of a, a feeling of urgency because Messi doesn't have that many years left. I mean, I do keep saying, and to be honest, I think I'm going to be right. I hope I'm not. But I think Messi's got two seasons left. And this season is, is I would say, it's the, the half before the other two seasons, if you know what I mean. So two and a half years left of Messi. And um, based on what we saw in the Supercopa, this manager cannot get these players to believe in themselves, to play the right way and to chase matches. And, and that's why La Directiva, the, the board, has seen what's going on and made a change now. Um, but that cannot deviate us from the fact that Valverde actually has won quite a lot. Um, I want to add here as well, I think the way that the board have managed all of this situation is disgusting. I think it's terrible, I think it's unprofessional, and I think it is sort of throwing someone under the bus after giving so much to the team. And of course, he's had mistakes, and he's had two terrible, probably the worst terrible, the worst, um, most terrible results that Barca had in the history, especially in the Champions League, and particularly the fall in the field at Liverpool. But that doesn't escape from the fact that you cannot treat a manager in that manner, basically humiliating him in front of the world's media. I mean, everybody knew that Xavi had met um, Abidal and the other board member, which whose name escapes me now. But they were here in Doha, obviously here because I'm in Doha as well. So they were here in Doha for two, three days. Everyone knew about it. Um, and it's just really unprofessional. You know, if you're going to make a change, you don't need to humiliate the guy. Um, you just go about your business behind the scenes and then you say, actually, this has happened. And, and the thing is, put Xavi in a very awkward position as well because, I mean, he's not a liar. He can't deny that Barca came for him. He can't deny that there were conversations. And, you know, Barca, who is, sorry, Xavi, who is probably the person in the world who loves Barca the most, I mean, you can't forget he's the player with the most appearances ever, now has rejected to come back to his club, which, at the same time, as I said before, doesn't speak very highly of this current board. And, um, I'm just going to stop there because otherwise I'll spend the whole program ranting about it. I'm just going to say that it's a terrible way in which the Valverde has been sort of let go. And I know that Valverde will coach another team and he's going to be very successful because he actually is a good person. Uh, that It wasn't the Barca style that he was using, obviously, but he can bring a good team, good success. Yeah, we're going to talk a little more about uh, Xavi, and we're going to obviously profile Kike Setien a bit more after this ad break. Here we go. I'm so excited for our sponsor today. It's Untuck It. Ever see an untucked button down? They look bad, don't they? Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirt always falls at the perfect untucked length. And I know this is a button-down shirt, but 
if there's a guy on Barcelona that at least off the field should probably be using Untuck it, it's Ricky Puj because when he is on the field and tucking that jersey high and tight, I think he looks even more like a child. But with Kike Setien in tow at the Camp Nou, maybe Ricky Puj, as young as he looks, is going to get an opportunity. And you have an opportunity to get a discount on Untuck It with us. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use code BLUE. That's UntuckIt.com, the code BLUE, for 20% off at checkout. That's UntuckIt, U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com, and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Francis, you had a lot of good points before that ad break talking about Xavi and uh, the board. And, and you're right. The board has continued to make mistakes here. And of all the things that are finite in all of this, and it does with that two and a half years of Kike Setien, that seems to be the one clause in his contract that I expect him to be here for the remainder of this season, obviously, and then for next season as well. But in 2021, when the, new, when the elections happen, and there is a lot of cynicism being thrown around about the board bringing in a manager that would help them get reelected uh, and Xavi being a, a big one there because of his connection to Victor Font. So there's a lot of political things going on behind the scenes that people may, may not pay attention to. And not even behind the scenes. This is all out in public, actually, with uh, public statements from Xavi, from Victor Font. Xavi putting his, uh, putting his support behind the candidate that, we'll say, is in opposition to this current board's ideas. But for Kike Setien, uh, you know, not to use the chess pun because we know che- uh, that Kike Setien does love to play chess, he does seem to be a little bit of a pawn in that political game looking ahead to the 2021 elections. But in the interim, he is a 61-year-old manager that is looking for this being his first real big job. Because you look at his history being Kike Setien and Mike Miller and I, all the way back on episode 113 of this show, pretty much almost a year ago, we were talking about Valverde and how you know we were worried about what the club was doing and whether or not the board should have been moving for Kike Setien then when he was still having a job at Real Betis. And looking at Setien back then, we'll just quickly go over it here. His first job was at longtime club where he was a player racing Santander in 2001 to 2002. He 18-10-8 was the record there, 36 matches, and his team scoring 1.48 points per match, but that was in a lower division as well. Uh, racing Santander for all their history as a big club in the past, they have not had the injection of money in the 21st century, and that has meant they've been a lower-level club since then. Lugo, however, was where he made his living 2009 to 2015, a team that you hadn't really heard much about in the history of Spanish football, and he took them, we'll say, to new heights all the way to the second division. 136 matches there, 1.26 points per matches, so really, again, not the best. That means that he's getting a lot more draws than he is uh, obviously losing, but he's also getting a lot more draws than he is uh, particularly taking those three points. He also had three lower-level stops before that, including a stay with the national team, Equatorial Guinea, where he was complimented by having them play an attacking, even a possession-based football, yet they obviously didn't have the, the top-end talent to make any noise in, in Africa qualifying. Then he goes to Las Palmas, where he was sharing an agent with Kevin Prince Boateng, made Kevin Prince Boateng a good player, and that probably is one of his biggest accomplishments there. But really, it was the accomplishment of taking Las Palmas and making them a team that was fighting for top 10 or top half of La Liga. Uh, 78 matches there from October 2015 to June 2017. He was a positive influence, finishing 11th in the 2015-16 season, his first season there, and then 14th, though, in 2016-17, 
a 1.23 points per match. But again, that has to do with the high-level talent of Los Palmas. They did play a brand of football that I think everyone was excited about. And then Real Batiste, that's where he continues it. 97 matches there, 39, 22, 36, averaging 1.46 points per match. A team that was behind Espanyol and Athletic Club. Uh, and they were a team that were fighting for Europa League and Champions League spots for a bit. But then they fell off, and that's why he was dismissed. The most important things they take from his time at Real Batiste, though, was Setien played a 3-4-2-1 for the second two seasons. So for a second and third season there, that was the regular formation, a 3-4-2-1, and the 4-3-3 was what he played in the first season. And when you take anything from that press conference, again, it's a lot of nothing. It's a lot of mumbo-jumbo. I'm excited to have the job and all these things. And, you know, Bartomeu and about Abidal just deflecting some of the other questions. The one thing you take from that press conference was that he mentioned that they might also use a 4-3-3 which means that his base formation is not a 4-3-3. It's a 3-4-2-1 is what he used at Real Batiste and a bit for Las Palmas. So that's what we expect him to use. And a question from Ted, we'll go right into that, Frances. Will Setien employ his favored, now he uh, said 4-4-2 with Suarez out, Messi and Griezmann up top. And as you mentioned, Frances, there was a feeling, I think, that that Valverde was also going to have to use a 4-4-2 anyway with Griezmann and Messi up top. But now with three at the back for Setien, that might be the idea where that one is probably going to be who? Messi. Because Messi is going to have to be the farthest forward to do the least defensively. And that means that Griezmann and somebody else, I mean, maybe even Arturo Vidal, for all those saying that Rakitic and Vidal are now getting in a cab and, and they know that their time to club is up and all these things because they're not Setien players, you never know. Rakitic might be deemed as the most important player for Kike Setien. It's not likely, but don't count anything out. It might be Vidal behind Messi alongside Griezmann just to do defensive work up top. And if, you know, as we know, he's the number one midfielding goal scoring option, just as Polino was before him. So I would say don't count anybody out. And that 3 4 2 1, the way we're speaking about it, is very possible. Yeah, I think that he's coming halfway through the season. So Setien is fully aware that the Champions League next round is just around the corner. Napoli are awaiting. And I think the situation now is far different if he had come in the summer. Uh, Rakitic and Vidal, they've both been sort of regulars-ish in the last, say, two, three months. And he is going to use the players that are going to give him the best results. Um, The first lineup for any manager is going to be very telling. Um, Obviously, if he's going to go for the lone striker with Suarez out, that can only really be two people. That could be the Griezmann or Messi. I think that the key factor here is to see how much freedom Messi actually is going to be enjoying. Um, he's been incredibly free, really, for the last 10 years. And that's when he's, when he's excelled. We know from the sort of later years of the Guardiola era, and certainly a little bit under Villanova as well, but not that much. But um, when he's stuck to the middle, he's much easier to defend because you just fire people around him. But um, I think that what Setien has been very keen to do, and certainly I bet this, this was the case, is having the open wingers. Um, obviously, he's got Junior Firpo, who was arguably his best player at, at Betis as well. But obviously, Jordi Alba ahead of him. So that would be interesting to see. Obviously, I'm assuming he's looking for dynamism. And if he's looking for dynamism, players like De Jong and Ansu Fati should be having a much more protagonist role. And I know that De Jong has been playing a lot, but maybe... He uses him as a holding midfielder, trying to sort of face Busquets out. Um, whether he does that now or he does it in the summer, I'm not quite sure. And yeah, there's a lot of incognitas there and they're going to have to be answered. Obviously, the sort of coming back to life that Dembele hopefully 
will experience soon. That that's also a factor to play. And I think, to be honest, and it's gonna probably sound too harsh, but not having Luis Suarez is probably a blessing in disguise if he wants to change this team because, and I know that Suarez has you know been influenced in the last at least 12 out of the last 12 goals, either assisting or scoring. But to be honest, if we are gonna move Barca away from what it has been, having a key player like Suarez missing could actually be a step forward. So all of those incognitas are going to have to be unveiled and sort of analysed after the first game. Um, all I do know is that the most important area that I want to see, and that basically the one that makes me the most anxious, is defence, actually. Because as you mentioned briefly in passing, defence, especially through the middle, has been a weakness in pretty much every Setien team over the years. We know that Umtiti, Lenglet and Piquet they haven't really gelled. Normally, been Piquet and Lenglet by themselves. Umtiti has been pretty terrible, to be honest. Every time he's featured, Toddy Boy is on his way out. So I don't know if Setien wants to stop that to to try something new there. Sorry? I, I I would stop Tadibo leaving for January, but that might already be done. Right. I think that's all been uh, that's all gone quiet. We're not exactly sure. Exactly. exactly. And, and with that, he may have also tried to stop Alanya as well. But obviously, that train has passed as well, at least for this season. So. I'm not quite sure what his ideas are, and I cannot wait to see what he does. But uh, as we, we have been saying, defending, especially in key moments, it's a whole team ethos, it's a whole team philosophy, it's a whole team sort of battle to fight. And uh, I just want to see how he deals with it. And, but the thing is, for the first time in a lot of time, I'm actually very excited to watch the next Barca game, just to see what happens, and knowing that the manager believes what we all believe, and he really knows what the right way of playing is. I mean. Are we going to be successful with it? To be honest, I don't think it can be much worse. Maybe in terms of results, but it cannot be much worse than what we, when we have been watching. And I've been falling asleep, really, honestly, over the last <laughs> three years. No, not three years, sorry, three months. But the last three years have been tremendous either. So very excited to see what happens. Well, that's the funny part here, that we know that it's going to be more exciting on the, on the field because it can't be much worse. And yet we know the results can't be much better because they've already been pretty good again, from match to match, not necessarily the big ones that we've talked about. I, I know that. But when you're talking about the just looking at the final scores and what trophies that were brought in by Valverde, again, the results, it's going to be tough to match that. And yet what we're going to be seeing on the field is obviously going to be a better product. Yeah. And it's interesting if there is a three at the back, what he does there. I would also expect, don't count out Junior Firpo. Again, I circle him as a player that Kike Setien at Real Batiste made him a better player. The reason why Firpo was bought by Barcelona is because it came down to Ferland Mendy or Junior Firpo. They wound up being the leading candidates as the, the best up-and-coming left-backs in the world, and Real Madrid goes for Mendy, and that means Firpo comes to Barcelona. And that all happens under the watchful eye of Kike Setien. So whether he winds up being the left wing-back as he was for Setien for so much of that time before he got hurt at Real Batiste, or he was also capable of playing as that left center-back, which is uh, very possible as well if the if he that being Setien decides to play a back three of PK Lenglet and Firpo, I wouldn't be that surprised. The other thing I want to mention too for the first match against Granada, which still feels like a lifetime away, De Young is going to be out because of the red card suspension, and Arthur most likely will not be featuring again because he's still out through injury. So all that said, and all the the the, the things that we're trying to build, it might not be on display. It might just be again Ernesto Valverde's team that that he's going to have to trot out there being Setien. But you did mention before the break uh, some other managers, and so I do want to quickly go through some listener questions here because 
Kiki Setien didn't have to be the choice, and it seemed like the days leading, uh, or at least the hours leading up to uh, what was a wild thing to watch on social media, the name Kiki Setien was, you know, fourth or fifth down the list, uh, probably after Pochettino, and we even see Allegri thrown in there, but the two main names that you heard more than any other, obviously we know that Abidal and uh, Ramon Planas went to Qatar but to meet Dan with Rab- stay in there. Oh, yeah, please. Stay in there. Maybe not in social media worldwide, but in Catalonia, Kike Setien was the most favored manager. And there was um, a survey in sport that said 38% went to Setien, 22 Pochettino, and 14 Allegri. And fourth was Garcia Pimienta with 14. So actually, I don't know what's going on around the world, because to be honest, I don't know, certainly on Twitter, because, you know, it's too many people just whining and complaining and for attention, to be Agreed. honest. And in Catalonia, Setien was the preferred choice. Yeah, interesting. And that's why when you mentioned Garcia Pimienta, that's what I'm a little confused by. Igor asked, do you think you guys think that Garcia Pimienta would have been a good choice for a replacement in January? And I think this actually has to do with the long term planning, because now Setien, I think, as I mentioned before about the with the elections, I think Setien is at least going to get the end of this season and then next season. And then they'll reevaluate based on his results. And I guess that is the clause in his contract that the new board could bring in a new manager. And that manager obviously could be Xavi based on the new board that would be that would be brought in. And maybe even this board because of the way that they moved for Xavi now. And whether Garcia Pimienta would have been a good manager, I think people are going that the fact that he's not flying high with the uh, the the Barcelona B team in the third division, you know, they are fighting for a promotion spot uh, and he's done better this season than he did last year. But all that said, I think Garcia Pimienta would not have been a bad choice to at least finish this last six months. When I look at the past Barcelona managers, like Carlos Reixas is the one that I'm reminded of a lot, where he was thrust into a position uh, and he had two different stints, but he took over when the team, when he probably shouldn't have been taking over, when he wasn't ready to be a, a first team manager and he yeah, wound up paying the price that. for that. Yeah, Rashad was second to Cruyff for all of the dream team years. Sure. So, so arguably he was more ready than Pimienta. I'm not sure about this, but probably will ever be. I mean, he has been, you know, in Juvenile, especially Juvenile. He spent a lot of years there and he was successful. But I don't think at the highest, highest level with the Champions League around the corner, I don't think it would have been a good choice because of basically lack of experience. And to be honest, he wasn't really that great a player anyway. So I don't think I don't think he's got the he wouldn't have the backing of the players and players need to have someone they believe in that thing they're going to improve themselves and I don't think Pimienta's got it. Yeah, I mean, it's see, I think it's a yes or no. It's hypothetical because I think with a guy like Pimienta who has breathed Barcelona for so many, so many years of his life, I think when put in that position, we don't know. I mean, Pep Guardiola, we praise so much because he went and he got his coaching education all around the world before finally coming back and settling for one season at Barcelona B, and then he's put in that job. In its revisionist history, if he winds up failing as the Barcelona first team manager, because even though he got that great education around the world, he really never had a first team job that garnered the respect of the players. And yet, because he was able to gain the respect of his players, and he's going to go down as one of the best managers ever, then we know that that formula winds up succeeding. So you're right. I think it's highly unlikely that Garcia Pimienta would have not only commanded the the respect of those first-team players, but would have also have greatly succeeded. But at least we know that Barcelona would have tried to play the way that the dogma of the club, sure. And I think with Garcia Pimienta, again, if he's never in that situation, we don't know how it would have turned out. So I, I think it's a cop-out answer for me. With that, Garcia Pimienta wasn't the first-team captain for 
I want to say, eight, nine, ten years, like Guardiola was. So when Guardiola was promoted, and also he didn't come in January. He had a, a whole summer to plan ahead in which he got rid of a lot of players, especially Ronaldinho and especially Deco. I mean, sure. anyone coming in now, they cannot dismiss, say, Suarez and Griezmann. Right. You know, no one can do it, which is, which is what Guardiola was allowed to do. Also, when Guardiola came in, he had Laporta behind, who was someone fresh, brave, that was sure, because he had the backing of the Saucis, that a change was needed. So I think it's different. And, and to be honest, if you have... I have been a football player. I'm not that great. I never was that great. My brother is better. He played at Barca um, with, you know, as, as listeners know, with Iniesta, etc. And the managers my brother had at Barca and the managers that Iniesta had growing up, they were all ex-players. But obviously, when you got someone of the caliber of Guardiola or Iniesta or Xavi or Puyol taking over a team, then that's going to have more weight than if, I don't know, like he was put in the merry-go-round, like Gabi Milito. Right. Yeah. Gabi Milito was a great player, but you know, relatively, especially looking at his Barca career, there's, as we say in Spanish, no hay color. There's no color. There's no comparison. But what about uh, Xavi? As George asked and, and others asked as well, would it have been the right time for Xavi? And you and I have both adamantly said no, it would have been the right time for no. Xavi. But do you think, I, as I said, I don't think Kike Setien messes up the timeline for Xavi because if Setien doesn't do well for the next year and a half, Xavi comes in with a new board, uh, or I mean, by new board, I also mean if it's Bartomeu's candidate, it would still be technically a new president. So whenever the new president comes in in 2021, Xavi can just come in on his white horse if Setien doesn't do well. Uh, it's almost a win-win situation, I think, now at this point for Xavi. Uh, and as we mentioned, it was the right decision, I think, for him to say no. He still has some stuff to do. And for Xavi in Qatar, you know, he was given the keys to one of the best teams in Qatar with one of the biggest budgets, and he's doing fine. He's, you know, he's doing well enough in getting results and he's contending in all these different competitions that he should be, though, right? That Xavi is just merely doing what he should yeah. be doing with a club that size. And some of the results haven't really gone his way and he's not exceeding expectations in Qatar. So I think there's still experience to be gained from Xavi. And yeah, and now this puts it at a, at, a, at a purposeful timeline where depending on Citian's results, Xavi is easily going to be the candidate in 2021. Yeah, and let's... Let's go by the sort of the local knowledge. Being here in Qatar, you see things differently. I mean, I deal with people who support Al Sad every single day. Um, I <laughs> people of all ages, little little children, all the way to like 60, 70 year olds who go to watch Al Sad every week. So what I know from here is that actually Xavi is admired because of what he's done at Barca, etc. But not everyone is fully behind him in the sense that Al Sad usually wins everything every year with a lot of distance, and this has not happened this year. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he's third in the league, and um, he's got, I think it's in a couple of days, on Friday, he's got the final of this new cup that they've decided to, <laughs> to take out of, their, out of their hats, the Emir Cup. And, uh, you know, he's got a chance of winning his trophy there, which is great. But he hasn't done that greatly here. That said, um, I think he is 100% right to not associate himself with Bartomeu. I mean, he's 39 years old. He's got another 30 years to become Barca manager. Not one person listening to this podcast can argue that Xavi will eventually be a Barca manager. And right now, in January, after everything that has happened, is not the right time. And he is 1 million percent right in not taking the job now. Um, in terms of Kike Setien, 
to be honest, I think there's going to be another manager before Xavi comes in because what this team needs is a cleanup. People like, um, obviously, Vidal, Rakitic, but going even further, people like Piquet, people like Jordi Alba, um, people like Suarez, obviously, eventually is going to have to happen as well and maybe not that far in the future. They're all going to have to go. And Xavi was their teammate. So that is not really a savory thing to do. That's something yeah. that he obviously doesn't want to do because he would be sacking his friends. And, and that's not that's not something I would want to do. Uh, and it is something that anyone looking into the team today, so, you know, everyone who's listening to the podcast today that watches Barca every week, that's not something you would want to do. But everyone knows that it's absolutely necessary. And to be honest, Setien is not going to be the guy to do that. Certainly not going to do that today. Um, and before, say, July. And it's, someone was needed on sort of borrowed time. Someone was needed to continue the boat and, t- and take it forward. And I, to be honest, I don't think many drastic decisions will be taken in the summer. Uh, I highly doubt that Xavi will be stupid enough to come in when, once the season is over. And hopefully that will be linked to Setien doing a great job. And if Xavi wants to come as a Barca manager, um, he seems to have a good relationship with Font, who quite likely, I mean, we don't really know what the sources will ever do, to be honest, but it is likely that he will win the next election. And then Xavi will come in like uh, Guardiola came with Laporta, you know, with a new fresh candidate that yeah. has the support of the sources. But and, that's, and that's what I'm saying. That's, and that's what I'm yeah. saying. It's a, it's a year and a half. Uh, that, that Setien now, because of that runway with Xavi, gives Setien at least a year and a half which is, again, with the summer being the big thing, because you, you mentioned that's, I think, the point I want to wrap up with Setien here, and then we'll move on for the rest of the show, that Setien is not going to be rocking the boat so much. Now, he's just going to try to getting results here. He's going to try to win the Liga and Champions League and Copa del Rey. And the way you do that is the players that are already in the squad. So as much as people are going to be yelling about Ricky Puj, who I mentioned in the ad read, while people are going to be screaming for Ricky Puj, he might get an appearance or so. And actually, as I mentioned, against Granada, he might get a spot off the bench because you have De Jong and Arthur most likely out of that game. And uh, where is Arturo Vidal going to feature? So while the formation might change, the players are going to wind up have to kind of be the same players until things are overhauled. So Setien and a new, well, it's not going to be a new board. It's going to be the same board this summer. So will that same board who are going to be, again, looking to try to get their new presidential candidate reelected or that having the board in its in a sense be reelected uh, in 2021, are they going to rock the boat then so much more and do that overhaul? I think you're right, Francis. Maybe not. And maybe it might be an entire another year before that all happens. Uh, but you might see some players phased in and phased out. And the question is going to be to Seti and the same thing that Valverde. Valverde said so many of the same things about playing youth. And we know that's what he had done at Athletic Club. And he said that he was going to be changing things up and fresh and all these these th- ideas. And Seti winds up saying the same thing this morning in that presentation. And yet, when push came to shove, Valverde was being told by the board and Sochi's and, and Kule's far and wide, you better get trophies or you're done. No matter, and so he did. He became a pragmatist. He didn't change. He was already, he was always a pragmatist when it came to style. But then he really, with his lineups and everything, never took chances anymore. He went with the gala elevens that we always complained about. And the question is going to become for Setien when push comes to shove: Is he going to be brave? Will he put his neck on the line now when everyone's screaming, "You better get results or else!" You know, when it when it becomes, uh, we might like how you play a little bit, but also you have to be winning. When that same thing happens. 
that happened to Real Batiste fans because they did the exact same thing. Real Batiste, it's different expectations, but when that team was playing well, everyone was so uh, jubilant in, in Seville about the way Real Batiste was playing, and yet when they realized that Champions League football was slipping away and when results weren't going their way, Everybody, the fans, the whole stadium turned on Kike Setien, and that and that wound up being disaster for him when it came to the end of the year. Uh, and the same thing again at the camp. No, when push comes to shove, if he has the bravery to play Puj over, say, uh, Rakitic, if that's what happens, and we're all excited about it, but results don't follow because it's a it's a twenty year old midfielder, then again, it's it winds up being the same the same problem where Setien's going to have to be brave. And if he isn't, are we going to be knocking him the same way we knocked we knocked Valverde? And I, I think connected to that, I think we have some questions about the transfer window. So, Frances, I think we should go into hyperspeed for the rest of the show. You ready? Let's do this. So James and Nikki both asked about the name Christian Eriksen, who is a want-away midfielder at Tottenham, available for around $20 million, they say, because he could be leaving on a free. Would he be a good fit at Barcelona? Uh, and would you try to pursue a trade with Spurs for Vidal or Rakitic? Uh, for me, Eric, Christian Eriksen is, yes, a quality midfielder, the, the Danish midfielder. He's getting up into his later 20s. My only thing is that when you, I just mentioned a guy like Puj, I think Ericsson, his it's not how much he would cost for a transfer. It's how much his wages are going to cost. I think his wages are going to be very costly. Uh, and his agent has always pushed for high wages for him. And that's why he's always been connected to Real Madrid instead of Barcelona. So I have never actually seen any uh, respectable outlets linking him with Barca. It's more fans who are saying that he is a, a Barca-type player. So I would say that there's a very low chance that that would happen uh, for Ericsson just because, again, his his weekly wages. Now, the board has been willing to pay many, many players too many, uh, too high of wages. Um, even Alex Vidal back in the day was uh, on too much per week. But uh, yeah, I would say Ericsson, a very small chance for that to happen. I think that business is going to have to be done before Vidal and Rakitic are out of the club. I wouldn't buy him. Um, I think that we need to once and for all trust the players that actually can play the Barca way already and just trust La Masia. Um, have Sergio Roberto in the middle have Puig promoted, have the young player in his position, um, and then just, just plod along. I would not invest any more money for anyone who's not going to be a clear in-and-out starter like Mbappé would be, like Neymar would be, and that's the caliber of player we need to invest on. All of the money, all the money should stay in the bank until an opportunity comes for a starter. So Eric and Vilmos speaking about Luis Suarez, though, here's the big worry that with Luis Suarez now out, uh, we didn't even have a backup striker before that. In theory, it, w- it was Antoine Griezmann. So should the team... Now, there's only about t- exactly two weeks left in this January transfer window to be trying to bring in new players. Because as I've mentioned about the B team, I know people don't care about any lower levels and we need starters. Well, you just said that. I'm not, I'm not mocking you, Frances. But, uh, you know, no, no. Uh, who cares about Alvaro Ruiz or, or Hiroki Abe, who's playing as a false nine for Barcelona B? So even the B team, as we say, doesn't really truly have, because Alvaro Ruiz is not firing at all, so much to the point where we wondered if he was going to be leaving the club this January. So there is really no backup number nine, even at the B team. And so that means I'm interested to see what Kike Setien does, because if that first match, it's Messi as a false nine, or as I mentioned, if they're playing a 3-4-2-1 and it's Messi or Griezmann as the one up top, I don't think a new guy is brought in. I think Messi and, and Griezmann almost uh, can contend in that in that circumstance up top. 
and you just do it that way. And then Ansu Fadi can also play, in theory, one of those front three uh, in, in if it's, it is a 3-4-2-1. So Fati can be up there. Carlos Perez can be up there. Uh, and you're just going to either have Griezmann or Messi as that front point of the attack. Also dropping in between those two, almost playing as a false nine. So I can see all of that happening. And if that's the way the Setien goes, which I expect it would be, because I can't think of too many other options. I, I think the board has learned this lesson, even though he does share an agent with Setien, uh, the caliber of Kevin Prince Boateng. We make jokes, but I don't even think there's somebody else out there on the market like that. There is uh, Olivier Giroud, um, but other than Giroud, there, again, there isn't really too many other ones that would come cheaply and be and be players that would make sense in January. And even Giroud, I mean, what does he do? He doesn't play much with the ball at his feet. He's just a big, big body, and he doesn't really fit what Barcelona want to do anyway. Yeah, I think if you're going to invest money in Giroud, you may as well sign my grandma. Um, I got, <laughs> I've got no intention of wasting any more money on anybody. Griezmann can play up front. Messi can play up front. Um, Carlos Perez can play up front. Atsupati can, can play up front. And you need to once and for all trust trust the, the players that are coming through. I mean, where would we be today if Reinhardt um, and the managers after him hadn't been trusting Messi from the start? Where would we right. be today? We, we would just probably not be even having this podcast at all because Barca would have been so terrible. No one would be caring. And Ansu Fati is someone with potential that we need to continue to sort of water so the plant continues to grow. And bringing Boatengs and, and players around the Scalibar is just stopping what should never be stopped, which is the progression of players who are promising. Yeah, uh, Douglas, this is the last transfer question, and we have one more to end the show. And I'm going to handle this one, Francis, because I know you already weighed in last week. Douglas asked, does it make more sense to bring in Danny Olmo this window and use what we have to fill the Suarez void? And I mentioned last week on the show, and I've also mentioned in the January transfer targets uh, YouTube video I put out two days ago, I think Danny Olmo should be bought this window by Barcelona, but loaned out immediately to a top five league side and not come to Barcelona for these six months. I think he's a player for the future, and he's one of those guys that I think can be a starter for Barcelona within a year or two, but that happens after the exodus of all these players like Rakitic and Vidal. So I just don't think the timeline makes sense, but I think it would be a great piece of business if there is a 30 or 40 million lying around to buy a player that I think is going to be a starter, the same way that I had the gut feeling about uh, De Young and, I mean, Arthur, I can't say that any of us were ahead on him, but uh, the same thing can be said, I think, of Emerson, the the right back at Real Batiste. He's the other one where if if Setien shows up to training and is looking at Semedo and going, I don't really trust this guy, and he thinks Roberto's better in the midfield, does Setien, then I think you pay the other $6 million for, uh, that, for, for that deal, or maybe you add in another few to get him away from Real Batiste because he's been one of the best right backs in the Liga. And I think for Setien, again, another guy that saw a little bit of Emerson, not much, but he is another player that I think can step into the starting lineup, if not immediately, uh, within a year. So I think he does fill that void. But I think Emerson's another guy that uh, maybe they just do the right business, wait on it, pay the other $6 million of his transfer to get him as a full player, and then you reinforce the right back position that spot. So I think Olmo and Emerson are players that uh, maybe you spend the money now, but don't bring them in till the summer. So I would say that's the only January business. That's, that's called forward thinking. And I wish, Frances, that someone uh, in this club, uh, as you mentioned, about the disgraceful nature of the manager search, I bet when it comes to transfers, when it comes to anything, even again, going all the way back to Neymar leaving, I just wish there was some kind of forward planning going on because it seems like with everything always playing out in the media, uh, it feels like everything is just a reaction. And things cannot be reaction. They have to be premeditated. Yep. Um, I'm not going to say too much. I'm going to be quick. It hurts me to pay 40 million euros for a player that was ours and left. That is true. So- I'm just going to leave you there. 
All right. Yeah, I think we'll talk about that uh, later in the future. I think you and I agree. So, so last question for this show coming from Cole. And it's tough, Frances. He's, he's put our, our, our feet to the coals. Are you too confident? And no, no pun intended there, Cole. <laughs> Are you too confident that we can win any or all of La Liga, Copa del Rey, or the Champions League? When you heard that Setien was the manager, Frances, what did your gut tell you this season? This season, not next. Yeah, we can win everything this season. We've got Messi. We've got a manager who likes to play good football. And if we can fix our defensive worries, and, and more than that, the concentration when it really matters in the dying sort of minutes of matches that, to be honest, normally we are ahead, then without a shadow of that, we can win everything. I think you're right. And I think when it comes to the players that are there, because don't we have mentioned Messi a ton, but I think we have not mentioned Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, who was not playing in that the Spanish Super Cup, and you could tell. It's a weird thing when you can tell that a goalkeeper is missing, and you could tell. And it's no offense to Neto, but he's such a drop-off from what, how good Ter Stegen is. On the other side with Oblak, Oblak is the reason that Atletico Madrid wound up surviving that match against Barcelona. There are a lot of other reasons too, but Oblak against Neto was the mismatch. As crazy as that sounds, the dearth in of talent of the goalkeepers. And I think you're right there that all three are possible. I'm confident that they can win all three, but I'm not confident that they are going to win all three. I think if Barca gets one of the three in this six-month period under Setien and can change the way they're playing and can basically set themselves up for a positive summer and next season, I think that would be considered a success. So if, if I had to guess, I'm going to say that the team is going to win La Liga. I think that because of the way Setien's defense is set up, they are susceptible to getting upset in the Copa del Rey. Uh, and in the Champions League, again, it's going to be tough when it comes to some of those English teams, particularly in Liverpool again. Uh, Liverpool is just leagues ahead of everyone else in world football at the moment. And I think Liverpool, it has nothing to do with Barcelona. It's not about Barca or Real Madrid or Bayern Munich or anybody else uh, around. I think Liverpool is just so much better than everyone else. And they have the pedigree. They know how to win. And Barcelona are going to be learning something new. And again, that's if for as experienced players as they have, it's a very difficult thing to have to reset and to redo and to rebuild from the ground floor everything in January when you don't have a full summer to work on things. So I think you were great on that point, Frances. You had it right. Uh, and I think we survived today. So Frances, any final thoughts here? No, let's be optimistic about the future. Let's stay behind the manager because first, we don't have a choice. And second, something unexpected happened that has to be a positive change. So, so let's, let's be optimistic about what's coming because we're up for a ride. Yeah, I agree. As I said, this was the conclusion of the first Barcelona podcast in over 173 episodes since Anelso Valverde was not in charge of the club. So, Kike Setien, you're the man now. You've got the Barcelona support, uh, Barcelona podcast support uh, behind you. And not only that, but dudes, do we have the support from everybody else? We also have support uh, that the Barcelona podcast receives from all of you. And we thank you for tuning in. We thank you for listening. For those who have been waiting or thinking about it, well, this is the time to join the Patreon uh, where I make the quick take match reviews, tbpod.link backslash Patreon. Again, a perfect time here because we have a new manager. We're going to be playing a different way. So tactics are going to be at the utmost part of our minds here. We're also on social media at on Twitter, at the Barcelona pod or at Hilton 13 for me on the at the Barcelona pod page where you get all your different updates about YouTube videos, articles, everything going on with Barcelona blog.com. 
on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, our closed Facebook group where we got these questions from, and there's a plenty of great discussion. Twitter is a cesspool of garbage. I've said that many times, but the Facebook page has a <laughs> lot of good conversation, actually. And when there are issues and when we do have, again, some disrespectful things, that stuff is flagged. Those people are muted, and we make sure we keep that a clean place and a healthy place. There is a lot of negativity. There's a lot of cynicism. There's a lot of complaining, sure, uh, but there definitely is not some of the garbage that you see on Twitter. So that's tbpod.linkback.group. Can I say something there sure. with the group? We are getting every single day, this is no, no exaggeration, 15 to 20 people trying to join our Facebook group. Nobody who does not listen to the podcast gets through. So out of 20 people applying every day to get into the group, maybe one or none make it. So if you are a listener to the podcast, just answer the questions. They're very easy. You just have to say that you know my name or Dan's name. That's it. That's one of the questions. So basically, if you don't know us, you don't listen to the podcast, then you can't make it. But we are trying to select it to make it a unique thing. We don't want a group with 100,000 people. We've got the Barca blog page, which is nearly 700,000. Um, we want something that's special. And it really is thanks to the contributions of everybody. So if you are listening to this podcast and you're not part of the Facebook group, go to tvpod.link now. No, sorry, tvpod.link forward slash group now and basically say our name and you're in. Yep. And then the final thing we have is for those who saw the January transfer target window, thanks for taking a peek at that. But for those who haven't seen it yet, it's on the YouTube page and it's uh, that's at the Barcelona podcast on YouTube. And you'll notice that for all the contributions of our patrons and also the support of all of you, uh, I've been able to restructure the studio down in the basement of my new place. And you're going to get a look at that uh, if you go and check that out on YouTube. So I'm really excited about the new things I've been able to do there. Uh, the video just, it looks better. It feels better. I'm excited to take that to new heights as well. So give us a subscription uh, and give us a like there. Leave a comment if you'd like. Uh, and it all helps this whole big thing, the website, the YouTube channel, the Patreon. And of course, it all comes back to this, the podcast. So thanks so much for listening to this, the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.